Healing Hands airs every Monday on channel Healing Hands YYC, hosted by Chanel Bostic. Healing Hands is a massage therapy education show in which Chanel shows you exactly some massage techniques, how to heal, and the basics of getting started. Check it out every Monday at Healing Hands YYC. Click on the link below to subscribe. Okay. Just gotta wait for this thing to load. Now I gotta do one more little thing because Zoom and Twitch do not like each other. One sec here. So this is live, live, or are you just recording it and, and streaming well, it later? Well, both. Oh, live. Okay. And I, I, so so the way this works is oh well, there was an error on my end, which is kind of fun and neat and wonderful. But uh, no, I what, the way it works on my end is I usually do these on Twitch and. Uh, that's the live version. Sometimes we'll have people show up. Sometimes we have people that won't. And uh, if not, we'll just have a conversation. Then I take an audio version of this, and ultimately this ends up on YouTube somewhere down the line. Okay. Yeah, so just so we know. So ladies and gentlemen, as we explain the instructions of how Twitch works with Zoom, because Zoom and Twitch do not like each other. They're like evil brothers that just want to, you know, pound the crap out of each other. Technology is a wonderful thing. Uh, my guest today is not... One second. Oh, good. It's totally muted already. Good. I can actually watch this accordingly as well. My guest is not Madeline Holy Rosing. It is her rock star husband. I, I'm going to say because no, I'm, I'm just I'm just the uh, spousal unit support team. Spousal unit support team. Yeah. See, Madeline actually uh, see when we were talking about you at San Diego Comic Con, she actually said you actually have groupies with what you do uh well we'll get into that later but that's that's totally separate um okay okay gotcha. it's, it's 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 kind of in um conjunction with her work on boston metaphysical uh it was just a side gig that i got because she said hey go do this um and as a result i was i was actually getting uh you know some some actual followers which is it, it, it kind of amazing but you know it, it's like the people in my line of work really don't go to comic-con and host panels no right um so yeah i mean i just i just happened to you know start it and people got interested and we started uh you know presenting some interesting stories and they kept coming back and i think last year i actually had somebody who said that they came to comic-con specifically just to go to my panel which is you know amazing that's impressive that is actually seriously impressive. You, I mean, you're going to spend either all all that money either for you know, the, the full five day ticket or even just a one day ticket, you know, just to go to my panel. It's like, why? <laughs> What's going on? Yeah, I, I, I said I actually told her, like, you guys should capitalize on it a little like and this is my evil business mind going like going off. It's like you got something there. Right. So yeah, I mean... uh, yeah, yeah, yes and no. Uh, you know, we 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 do have strict uh, limitations uh, at work, uh, and 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 I guess you might want to. You know, th there's a bunch of people out there going. Well, who the heck is this guy? Oh, I, I, oh, I, I know. Actually, I was good. I was trying to find a way to ask that. We, we, again, yeah, right. This... You know, it's like before before we get into that. You know, let's 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 say, hey, you know why why are we talking this way why 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 are why, why am i saying that i really i can't capitalize on, yeah. on on what i'm doing uh because you know my my employer really doesn't want me to to do that because uh you know there there's a lot of uh, i mean i i could appear to be taking advantage of it and um you know uh 
appear to enhance myself, and I don't want to do that. Uh, and conflict of interest is a real thing. I I I I totally understand that too, right? There, I mean, that is it. Yeah. I think for the record, we should actually just officially say it. What do you do? You oh, um, basically, uh, well, short answer, uh, I'm a rocket scientist. Yeah. Um, I make uh, widgets and, and, and gadgets and send them off to Jupiter and Saturn and Mars and, you know, um, all, all sorts of you know, fun places in, in the galaxy. Uh, well, solar system um, at this point. Um, and so I've only been at JPL for eh, 45 years now. Yeah. And so uh you know and you know things keep coming up and you know it's like hey what's what's the next thing that we got to go do yeah that's that that's fun and exciting oh we want to you know go fly on mars okay let's let's go do that you know because nobody else in the world has done that so yeah sure why not let's go let's go do that why, why not right yeah so, why not so like i have done the joke on here many times i'm sure i, I i'm gonna just get it out of the way now because i'm sure you've heard it a zillion times you've heard that it's not rocket science thing right right probably a zillion freaking times you're like well, I, I know what I'm talking about here. I mean, it, it, it's kind of cool to actually meet somebody that actually does the rocket science. Uh, well, actually, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. Um, it's not, well, it's more, yeah, I, uh, rocket science is a gen, uh, general all term for it. Um, there's actually, you know, rocket engineering, which is the, the booster vehicle that gets you off the ground and into space. Um, and there's a entire team of people that dedicate their careers uh, that do nothing but that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Look, look, look at, you know, a lot, the, the uh, ULA, uh, United Launch Alliance um, and uh, SpaceX and Blue Origin. And, and these guys, these teams are dedicated into getting, you know, people off the planet um, cheaply um, and uh, and um, and safely. Right. Um, and that is it's, it's one of those things. The life of a launch vehicle is is basically, you know, 30 minutes, you know, an hour. You know, it, it's not very, very long. Um, a space vehicle, once once you once you boost up and you either get into orbit or you go to another planet or whatever, you're talking decades. Yeah. Right. And there is a difference uh, in how you approach uh, the design uh, of each. Um, the, the launch vehicle has a very, very rigorous environment uh, that it has to survive. I mean, there's, there's cryogenic temperatures, there's you know, uh, aerodynamic uh, uh, vibration, there is you know, acoustic loading, there is all kinds of stuff that goes on that uh, we have to survive as a payload. Yeah. Um, and then once we get going, then, you know, all that, all that's behind us. And now we're on our way and, you know, on the, on that trajectory over to Mars or Jupiter or Saturn or, 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 or whatever, uh, in the case of Voyager, which was launched, uh, back in 1977, um, we, we actually had, uh, there was a, a really, uh, brilliant, uh, young, um, uh, navigation guy that was doing um, uh, investigations of uh, of how to navigate around planets, and he discovered that you could actually get a gravity assist off of the off of the planet, depending upon how you fly at it. Uh, you you kind of approach and you you know you take a long slow approach toward it, and then speed away really fast, and it turns out the planet then gives you a little boost of energy. It's almost like a race car thing, right? And um, 
And so he discovered that, hey, you know, there, you, the, the, the planets line up such that I can do a gravity assist off of Jupiter, then another one off of Saturn, and then get off and do uh, Uranus and Neptune at the same time. Uh, this was called the Grand Tour. And they said, you got to launch in September 1977. Okay, there's a like a 18-day launch window that happens once every 176 years. Okay, that the, the, the that the the next time the planets will align is you know in another 130 years from now. So 2150-ish. Yeah, something something like that, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And so you, by then, hopefully, we'll have you know much more efficient you know rocket you know uh, systems and propellant systems that we can actually go go to the planets. But you know this 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 um, it, it was amazing that that two voyagers were launched uh, in 1977 uh back to back in that launch window yeah i know we actually made two of them and launched them and got them out the door and launched on time nearly lost the first one but yeah we that the, we uh we got it out on time how, how do i how, okay so how do i put this i i okay i, I guess I, here's the weird thing like we were it always sounds like and maybe we're still doing it and no one's advertising anymore back in like the 60s 70s and up until like the challenger explosion Every time there was something was going out in outer space, there was always a big monumental moment, a discovery. And then once Challenger exploded, I'm not saying NASA hasn't done it or NASA or any company like that hasn't done stuff since, but it does. It feels like it's a lot more subdued in terms of of like just think about what you just said there. In the seventies, you had a window, you had a window to go, and you guys took it and they they took a chance and they did it. Like they just they just they got it in, they got it done, they did it twice. And it does. It doesn't feel like it. Maybe and again, I, I'm coming at this from a complete layman's perspective, so I, I I probably don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like those discoveries are as op- out in the open, or maybe it's just because there's so much going on all the time that it, it get it gets lost in the shuffle. Well, it's one of those things where uh, Madeline has a saying, yeah. Um, and I don't know if I should actually quote her uh, word for word. But basically, NASA's uh, marketing department um, could use some improvement. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's one of those things where, you know, uh, and, and going to my panel. Okay. So I've been at JPL for 45 years, and we talk right. about, uh, you know, things that the public hasn't heard about. Okay. Uh, classic example. Uh, I, I mean, I just told you that we had launched uh, Voyager uh, 2 first. Yep. Um, because it was going on the grand tour. So it had the launch in, in the launch window. Voyager 1 was only going to do the Jupiter-Saturn uh, tour uh, and wasn't destined to go off to Uranus and Neptune. And so it was re- very, very crucial that we get, you know, um, the the unit labeled 2 off first uh, so it could definitely go on its um, on its planned trajectory. And um, so back in the day, uh, if you're familiar with the gyroscope, you know, back, you know, remember those old gyros that you used to have as a kid, that the iron yeah, gyro yeah. that would, that yeah, would yeah. sit there and spin and, you know, whatever. Yeah. Well, back, back in the day, gyros were like that, okay, where you actually had a spinning mass and it would, it would spin around on an axis and, you know, you'd have a, a gimbal cage and, and, and whatever. And, uh, but a lot, a lot more precise than what you had as a kid. Okay, it was all in the bearings and and the uh, uh, the precision of the uh, of the rotor and you know getting everything balanced and aligned on the uh, on the uh, rotational axis. Uh, 
And um, so when they launched Voyager, um, there's actually a solid rocket kick motor that completes the burn that gets the vehicle on the last final trajectory. The, the launch vehicle, the, the Titan III Heavy gets you up into the proper trajectory in, this la in the last kick field. Vehicle gives you the last boost of energy. We call that the Delta V to get you on the final trajectory on, on, on where you're going to go. And during this boost phase, um, they had basically said, hey, we don't want these gyros to damage their bearings. Okay, so spin them up, you know, keep, you know, start rotating, you know, basically, and, and so that way they'll, they'll survive the, the shaking. Yep. Uh, what they forgot to do is they forgot to tell the attitude control system to ignore the gyro data while this boost was going on. Uh, because what's going to happen is as, as the, as the vehicle, as the motor is burning, it's shaking those gyros and they're kind of vibrating around and they're, they're kind of tumbling and, you know, we're not tumbling, but they're kind of shaking and giving you, you know, erroneous data. And so the attitude control system says, oh, wow, I got bad gyro data. Right. And so it must be a bad gyro. Well, go switch over to backup, you know, to the backup gyro. Well, it's bouncing around just as much as gyro A was, Right. And so it's in the computer saying, oh, my God, I got bad gyro data. It must be the input-output unit. So it says swap input-output units. Well, you know, the, the both gyros are still bouncing. So now it goes to say, so, well, that, that that's terrible. So it must be the backup gyro. So it goes through the entire what we call the full protection table. Gyro A, gyro B, IOA, IOB, you know, you know gyro A, gyro B, you know, and then, and then switch processors. And then it marches through the table again. So gyro A, gyro B, and and Matt Landana was was who was my uh, the supervisor at the time, is basically announcing processor swap, you know I/O swap, and he's and he's he's looking at the data, and you know his underwear is about to change color, guys. I mean it's like oh my god, you know it's like one more processor swap, and the whole thing would have gone bleh, yeah. it would have died, right then and there, right. And we're just one processor swap away from complete and utter failure. And all of a sudden, the gyros just settle out and everything's fine because the engine stopped. Yep. Right. And everything's fine. You know, and, you know, everybody's kind of, oh, <laughs> they're, 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 they're sweating bricks because they're, they're about ready to go. And, um, you know, and, and they survive. You know, and it and uh, Voyager two went off to do uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune. Uh, did the grand tour? I think it's out there right now, still collecting data. How was how many forty six years later, right? There and uh, right there, it's 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 still working. It's it's still got it still has uh, you know signal lock. You know, with with the Earth. I mean, the signal's really really faint. <laughs> you know. Uh, there's there's not much going on, but I mean, it, I think it's measuring um, uh, the uh, what the, um, uh, the 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 corona sphere. I mean, the 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 corona from from the Earth um, uh, basically reaches a limit out at at the edge of the uh, uh, of the uh, solar system, mm -hmm. and I think we we went through that. I don't know how many years ago. Um, and so it's just monitoring, you know, space, you know, where, where, so, where our solar wind doesn't even get to anymore. So, and so that was, yeah, yeah. We almost, we almost, we almost lost the vehicle on, on, the, on the first, you know, you know, a couple of minutes of its flight. 
So these these are the kind of stories that I, that I talk about at, at my panel at at, at Comic Con. You know, it's like yeah. Uh, so and, and, and I can see why people would be interested about it. Like to to be like again, it feels like a very frontiery. Like 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 it's something brand new. You're trying new things. You're going. Through, you're seeing the struggles in real time. And like there's success. And there's a lot of cool success stories, right? Voyager two, forty. Yep. 40. And there's and there's and there's lots of interesting failures that we had. I mean, you heard about the the infamous English metric conversion problem, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know if you heard about that one. Well, uh, that 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 was one where you know back in 1999 uh, we were doing the faster, better, cheaper um, thing. You know where we wanted to get out there and get a lot of missions out there, and we didn't care if we failed. As, you know, as as long as we got uh, things out there and we could you know prove that uh, you know we're not wasting the taxpayers' money and whatever. And um, that was just a little itty bitty navigation error that uh, came about. Um, because we had like two guys at, at JPL that was basically doing the navigation for, I think, four um, spacecraft going between Earth and like Mars, right? Um, so we had Polar Lander, Climate Observer, uh, there was DS-2, I think it was, um, and then, you know, some other mission. And so they were doing the navigation for all these, these things. So there's one guy doing all the work and a supervisor. And um, they noticed a systematic error in the um, the navigation tracking. I mean, every every so often you do a nav track um, based on you know where the where the vehicle is with respect to Earth, um, and it's it's it's, it's kind of tough to do because there's no GPS yeah. out there, right? And so you have to basically say, okay, where am I? Where is Earth? And what is my relative angle between the Sun and Earth? And and you you try to get that error down to the point where it's you know uh, it, it, it's correct you know and, and you and you know where you are, and um, and so you you, you kind of get this sort of error ellipse that you're supposed to you know wind up in, and it's it you know every time you do a nav track you're supposed to be you know somewhere within the ellipse. And the navigators at JPL said, you know, hey, there's there's a systemic error coming along. Every time we do a track, you know, we, we're, we're within the ellipse, but we're marching from one end to the other. I mean, it, it, it's I mean, normally it, it should be random with, within the ellipse, but it, it starts from one end and it kind of tracks its way over toward the other. So it's like there's something wrong here. And, you know, the guys at the contractor said, hey, it's fine. Don't worry about it. We're, you're within the ellipse. You know, no big deal. Uh, there was a young uh, kid that was basically a, a fresh out at the contractor said, hey, you know, I, I can go take a look at it. And then this old gray beard said, oh, don't worry about it. You know, it's 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 fine. And, um, you know, we're, we're within the ellipse. We don't have to do there. They said, you know, there was this one last final error correction burn that they could have done. And they said, you know, it might be too risky to do it that's this close to the planet. I mean, they were getting right close to their closest approach to the planet, to, to Mars. Um, and the error dropped them 50 kilometers lower than they thought. And, 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 and when you think about it, 50 kilometers out of 220 million isn't bad. No. Right? Well, but... I but it was enough yeah well, you know, to get it into the atmosphere and after that point it burned up and 
Oops. And the vision. Yep. Well, because, I mean, what you're talking about is like, it's a huge math problem. You got to figure this out. You, you, you're trying to figure it out exactly where. So if you don't have a GPS, there's also no yeah. direction in space. Like, that, there's like, literally, so you got to kind of go, okay, uh, I'm going to go here, here. And, and you try to get within what, I, like, again, that ellipsis because it's a reasonable amount because you're not sure exactly where it is, but you figure it's within this space. You're right. So, right. Right. So, and as long as it's in that space, you're good. But uh, like anything else, um, an inch, like you, like like in terms of, in terms of fifty fifty kilometers, is essentially an inch in space, if that. Right. So. Oh, it's it's yeah, it's, it's equivalent to microns. I mean, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's not a big error. No. But much like anything else in life, right? Much like anything else, the little things. It's it's enough. Know. It's yeah. enough. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, you know. And it's it's like it's enough to be yeah. a, a problem. And um, so, yeah, long story short, what happened was, was the, you know, after the vehicle burned up, the, the, the young, you know, engineer at the contractor said, oh, here's the problem. You know, JPL had asked for um, the events in uh, what we call the small events file to be uh, uh, transmitted from the contractor to JPL in metric units, you know, meters per second. Yep. And they gave it to us in feet per second. Uh, because that's what the contractor was used to. That's what that's what they had done all their calculations in, and they just forgot to do the last final conversion in from feet per second to meters per second. And so that, that would do it. And yeah. That'll do it. <laughs> and that'll do it. Yeah, that will do it. And and it was enough to basically put the vehicle off by you know 50 meters, and which was enough to get it down into the upper atmosphere, and such that as during the closest flyby. Uh, it overheated the uh, the solar panels and the the ship broke apart and we lost it. Yep. So, you know, yeah, I mean, we had you know mucho egg on our face um, from this little itty bitty error, and then we had uh, a polar lander. You know, at the same time, um, was supposed to land and uh, up at the North Pole and you know lo look for water and all kinds of really really important stuff. Uh, and that was one of those things where as it's coming down during the entry, descent, and landing sequence, um, it released its landing gear uh, and the landing gear, you know, flicked out and locked out and it went per click, you know, and it locked the landing gear. And in the process of, of that lock, but about for about 200 milliseconds, the switch uh, that basically sensed the, when the foot pad touched soil was closed. For 200 milliseconds, right? Two tenths of a second. Um, now the computer is basically monitoring all the sensors on the vehicle every 100, 150 milliseconds. And it read that switch as, oh, switch is closed. All right, so set a bit in memory that says that that, that switch is closed. Now during the entry, descent and landing sequence, it didn't look for that bit, you know, until, you know, about 50 meters above the surface. And it says, okay, from 50 between 50 meters above the surface down to the surface uh when that when we when we get that switch closure we'll shut the engines off right so 50 meters above the surface it said okay check check for the switch closure oh look the bit set shut the engine off yeah so 50 meters above the surface it shut the engine off yeah bam and Fine. so and it and it killed it yep you and know 
and and because you know the imperial system's insane i'm just gonna well, no it. but the, the, this was this was a different issue all right okay. so there, there was two there was two separate missions that we lost oh wow okay yeah no that, this, this is polar lander I, I i told you about climate observer yeah. yeah the whole the whole english metric uh, conversion was was polar you know it was climate observer and this was polar lander so yeah so we had two back-to-back -back failures um i think at the time there yeah there was that there was ds2 that we lost and then wire was another one so we, we lost like four missions in like six months boom 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 and so it's like okay you know there's no gas stations where where we're going yeah uh so let's think about making sure that you know when where we're going let's let's make sure that everything works right you know let's look at all these little interesting nuances and uh what can go wrong uh because there's no triple a to call no right? uh, and uh, so what? you, you got to make sure that that when you're going there you, you gotta you know make everything uh work right well what yeah because it once it breaks up there it, that's it there's not a yep. whole lot you can do well right? there, yeah but well yes and no okay yes and no um there, there is some stuff that uh, you know you can fix as long as the vehicle is stable, yep, um, and uh, gets into what what basically a, a a safe mode, sort of a fetal mode, and uh, it uh, you know it says okay, I'm going to phone home, you know, and and maybe the guys on the ground can fix it, and 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 sometimes we 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 pull those off, um, you know, and um, you know there's there's a uh, uh, Going back to Voyager, okay. I'm 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 telling you the stories here. Yeah. Um, that that the, the, these these are the kind of stories that that I actually share at my panel. Um, there was uh, one um, fault protection mode um, on the vehicle that says, "Hey, if I haven't heard from the ground in a week, it means that maybe the receiver has died, and I bet what I better do is switch receivers, right?" Um, and there was a very interesting issue that that had been discovered on on Voyager. Um, sorry, I'm talking too much. I, you know about the. No, about no, right. no, no. <laughs> this is your thing. This is your thing. I'm letting you. I'm letting you tell stories because. Okay. Um, and 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 so uh, there there was a very interesting, you know, an uh, an oddball thing that happened, and that is they're they're on the system test floor, and you're basically exercising the vehicle. You're basically testing it, making sure that. You know, you turn the power on, the, the, the transmitter works, the receiver works, and, you know, you, you, you're going through all the subsystems, making sure that everything's worked because, you know, that's the time to, to find where the bugs are. You know, you want to find the bugs in, at, at, in the system test floor, not in flight. Yep. And so they, they turned the radio on and the whole radio went bleh. It just fried. What? <laughs> you know, and tried to figure out what the heck happened. And they they couldn't. They couldn't figure it out. And they, you know, and they they got the, the backup unit, they turned it on, they turned it off, they turned it on, they turned it off, and it, it worked just fine. And they're kind of going, uh, there, there was nothing that would let it to explain why this anomaly happened. So they fixed the radio and they, they put it back in. Um, and then there another time they turned it on. And um there's there's a very interesting issue um call you're you're familiar with the term of doppler shift i've heard i'm not a term what it is i've heard the name of it though so okay all right so what what happens is is that you know if you're standing at a railroad crossing and the train comes by right 
um, and the, you hear that the train blasts its horn and it, it, it sounds like a high pitch as it's coming toward you and then a low pitch as it's going away from you. That's called Doppler shift, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so that, okay. I mean, the, the train, the horn on the train is at one, com, one constant frequency, but as it's, as it's approaching you, that the, the, the uh, uh, acoustic waves are actually compressing. So that's why you hear it as a, as a higher pitch as it's approaching you. Yep. And then there's a lower pitch as it's going away from you because the, the waves are kind of stretched out, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, this actually happens in radio waves as well. Okay. Okay. All right. I, I'm with you. All right. So um, you got to remember the earth is this big ball. Okay. Yep. And, 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 and please don't have me argue that the earth is not flat because I, I, I'm not going to go there. So you know, uh, don't, no, no, you know, I, don't I, ask I, me that question. So anyway. So, so the Earth is rotating, right? Yeah. Okay. And so you have you have a transmitter on the planet that is either on the on the on the leading edge or the trailing edge of of the of the planet as the planet is rotating. Okay. It's trying to transmit a signal to the spacecraft, right? Okay. The spacecraft is moving. Okay, and it's going faster as it's going toward the planet, and you know, and and you know. Uh, and then slowing down as as it's moving away. So the 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 speeds with respect to the Earth are yeah. are huge, right? And so you need a circuit in the radio that accommodates that frequency shift. Okay, it's effectively that that the 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 effect of the of the Doppler frequency. And and so you use a circuit. And I'm I'm, I'm going to go above your head here. It's called a phase lock loop circuit. Okay. I'll, I'll have your readers, I'll do the research on that, of what that does. And what it does, is it, it figures out what the uplink uh, frequency is, and it attunes its receiver to, to adjust itself to receive at that frequency so it, it can get the commands from the ground. It's, right? It's, so, for, so for lack of a better term, it's, it's this combination tuning fork slash translator. I don't know what that is, but I'll take your no, word for it. Yeah, no, it's just just the idea in my head. It's like it's trying to find the right the frequency to communicate. Right, right. So basically, right. And, and it, because it, it, it's so variable. Yeah, that... yeah, which makes sense because again, you don't know what you're you're walking. So it finds the frequency. It's almost like a yep. like I say a tuning for it because it's like you know you're trying to find the pitch, finds the pitch, yep. finds the pitch, it hits the pitch, it resonates, and then it yep. communicates. Does yeah, that make sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. so. Um, so you, you, you imagine a keyboard. So the, 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 uh, the, the receiver will say, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm receiving the signal from the ground and I got to tune the receiver to be a, a C and not a B flat, you know? Yeah. You kind yeah, of, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Um, so the, 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 the tone of, of the frequency is, is changing, but you want to lock up on that so you can get a, your commands in to, to, to change the frequency. Yeah. Um, well, it turns out another problem that they had on the system test floor in Voyager was that particular circuit just fried oh. and 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 the the entire you know and the receiver would still receive yep only on one frequency lovely okay yeah so early on in voyager and this is before they had gotten to jupiter let alone saturn let alone uranus neptune right um they they had this little problem over on the other uh voyager with the scan platform the bearings were a little bit stiffy and they were looking at that and they forgot to send the um the command to the other the 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 primary voyager that hey you know 
we're still here on the ground. So yeah, everything's fine. Reset the counter for, for the, uh, uh, for the receiver circuit. So the, I think, I think it was Voyager too. Um, basically says, Oh, I haven't heard anything from the wild switch receivers. Bam. The receiver just blows yep. gone fries. Right. And then, you know, we kind of got, uh, you're trying to send the commands and it's not responding. And it's like, Oh boy. So the only thing you can, you can do is hope that a, after a week, it's going to switch back to the original receiver. Well, it switches back to the original receiver and sure enough, the phase lock blows. So now the receiver can't lock up onto the incoming command signal from the ground. So, so, so now the earth is rotating around the sun. Mm -hmm. The earth is rotating around its axis. So there's this huge frequency shift and the, and the, and the receiver is only receiving at one frequency. Yep. And it can't change at all. And and I, and I got to hand it to the, D, the deep space network guys. They, they, they said, okay, okay guys, the, the only thing that we can do is calculate what the Doppler shift is going to be, what the frequency shift is going to be, and transmit a specific frequency from the ground such that by the time the, the vehicle gets it, oh, it's man. going to be at the one receiver. That, the one that receiver. is amazing math. That, and they've done this for the last 45 years years yeah no, that's amazing math so folks yeah. under, to, under, to understand that essentially you have the ship can only say one thing and yep. uh, there's only particular windows in time that we can yeah it can only hear one note it can yeah, only hear, hear one hear, it, it can't hear multiple notes it can only hear one note and, and when only, you're you know and, and depending on when and depending upon where we are it can you can read it or not so the engineers depending on when and how have to actually calculate where it is, how it is, and when it will likely reach it, which is actually incredible. Although uh, that that does make me kind of go, what happens? Like this is this this is almost like a sad thought, but eventually, what if that frequency just stops? Well, no. What now? <laughs> okay. All right. Well, step two. Yeah. Um, was that they knew that there was radiation around um, uh, Io you know, the, the, the moon of, of uh, Jupiter, right? Yep. And so they knew that the frequency, the received frequency, the tone could change. Yep. So they said, okay, um, you know, just broadcast di slightly different frequencies and, you know, let us know what you hear. And that's the new frequency that we're going to transmit at. The very, they varied the pitch. Like, like from a musical perspective, that's essentially what you did. It's like, Still plays the same note at slightly different pitch. We just got to figure. We gotta, yeah, we gotta yeah. Figure I mean, so out. so the received note yeah. changed from a uh, you know uh, a C to a, a, a D sharp. Yeah. Right, because you you happen to go through a radiation zone. Yeah. And you know something happened in the in the electronics, all, all because you know somebody right. forgot to say, "Oops, you know we got it. We got to make sure that we we send the command to to keep the the receiver on." Yeah. So. Okay, I'm going to switch gears for a bit. We will tell more stories before it's all said and gone. Done. I'm, I'm going to ask. The, I'm going to ask probably the most obvious question in the world, which is this: How did you end up doing this for a career? Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> hmm. Okay. Well, uh, let Let's see here. Do you remember? Uh, we we could we could actually talk about this because um, um, back when I was a kid, uh, I loved airplanes. Okay. okay. Anything that 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 went flying. 
Uh, and then there was this little itty bitty movie called 2001 A Space Odyssey. I remember that movie, yes. Okay. Uh, that, that, that ah, but did you see it in Cinerama? I did not. Okay. Uh, now, with you, were, you're talking about a, I mean, this this is super IMAX. This was IMAX before IMAX. Oh, right? no, no. This, this, this is, oh, this, no, this, 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 this theater was so huge that, that I mean, it literally wrapped around the audience where your, your, you know, your peripheral vision was, 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 you know, fully engaged because there was three projectors, you know, yep. in, in the movie theater, right? So I saw it in the original, you know, uh, uh, format, you know, in, in Cinerama. And um, at the time, you know, it's like, you know, the the space scenes were just unbelievable. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like at the time, you know, you had uh, you, we, we affectionately call those cockpits uh, the steam gauges, uh, you know, right now, you know, up until then. And now you had these things called display screens and data was being shown on a display screen and. Uh, they had this thing that, you know, it was, it looked like a piece of paper and it was a, it was a TV display. I mean, you know, somebody could take it and plop it down on, on, on a, on a, on a table and, and watch it while they ate, yeah. you know, it's like, oh my God, this was mind boggling for 1968. Right. Absolutely. No, no. It was right? just, just a touch before my time, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but it, you know, yeah. Yeah, you know, and but now no, it's like, yeah, you got an iPad, you know, you, you take it, you know, and there's your, you know, and you can you can basically watch your favorite movie while you eat, right? You know, or your news program or whatever. Yeah. And um, you go look at you know modern day cockpits, and you know what you got all these screens all over. There's all these all this data, and you know it's like, hey, that that's what happened. Yeah. So I said, okay, this this is what I want. Um, and so I um. You know, went uh, to basically. I did um, uh, under uh, my undergraduate at um, University of Colorado at Boulder, okay. where they specialized in uh, aerodynamics. Okay, uh, yeah, and I, uh, I think they still have like something. I don't know if it's quite. I know it's not the same pro, quite the same program, but I think they still have something like that there, or maybe. Yeah, yeah. Know. I mean, there there is some. I mean, um, uh, yeah. because I mean, the, because right, the, there wasn't that much space at the time, and what was happening was the moon program was actually winding down. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of people being laid off from Apollo, and people were saying, you know, why do you want to get into space? You know, when all these people are getting laid off. And I sort of figured that, you know, by the time I graduate, I mean, it's going to pick up again. Yep. And it did. It did. And it did. And so, yeah, then, um, yeah, I actually, what got, um, yeah, got got to visit uh, down at the uh, Johnson Space Center the, the day that they uh, basically did the first drop test of um, uh, Enterprise off of the 747. Okay. All right. So I was, you know, uh, you know, just, just right down there just um, uh, for that. And because uh, the, the, the space shuttle still hadn't flown yet, um, and, but they, they were still doing the aerodynamic uh, drop test and they, they, they wanted to verify that they actually land the thing. And, um, and so I said, yeah, th this, this is what I really, really want to do. And um, they, you know, the, the Johnson Space Center, it was one of those things where I then then uh, went off to do my master's at a little place called Stanford. Um, I and, like that. Yeah, yeah, a little, little, yeah, 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 yeah. Little, 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 little school, and um, 
and then uh, uh, JSC really not never got their act together. So I said, oh well, okay. I mean, I can I can you know basically uh, uh, do do some stuff at uh, at uh, JPL. Um, and yeah, I mean, I got in and uh, we I started working on this uh, this thing called Galileo, which was the first orbiter uh, that was planned to go into orbit around Jupiter. Uh, with a probe mm -hmm. and uh, we said okay um, that that's fine we can do that we, they had just launched uh, Voyager and so the same team that did Voyager was now working on Galileo and uh, we said yeah but the launch vehicle is going to be the space shuttle it's not going to be like a Titan three or you know anything like that it's, it's or, or a standard run of the mill booster it's going to be the space shuttle and we said okay you know, that's what NASA wants us to do. That's what we will do. And they said, okay, you're going to launch in 1982. You're going to do a gravity assist off of Mars and you're going to go off to Jupiter. And that's great. And they said, you're going to be like the 13th launch off of the space shuttle. Okay, great. And then the space shuttle slipped a bit. And then we were going to do the seventh. You know, we're going to be the seventh launch. And then we got to be the third space shuttle launch and you know you're looking at this and we're, we're kind of going negative here you know one more one more slip on the shuttle and we're going to go kind of go negative here and then, you know, then what do we do and uh so they had to redesign you know we said uh, you know finally hey you know we we, we can't go uh we're going to have to redesign the uh the vehicle to go to the next opportunity uh to um uh, to do a mars flyby and if you're familiar with uh uh mission you know uh, uh trajectories and mission planning you notice that there there's a, an alignment between earth and mars uh, every two years that allows you to launch something from earth uh, to mars to mars yes okay and uh we said okay we'll just we'll just slip it two years and we'll use the next you know uh that we'll use the 1984 launch opportunity and they said okay that's great that's wonderful um, and somebody came along and said, uh, you know, guys, you realize that in 1984, the flyby altitude at the Mars surface is a thousand kilometers underneath the surface in order to get the same gravitational effect, right? Yeah. The, the same gravity boost. And they said, you know, that's not going to work too well. That is not going to work too well. Um, and so we said, well, you know, what we can do is we can still do gravity assist if we have a, an extra propulsion module. So they had to take the probe off and put it on its own separate carrier. There, there was actually Galileo, if you recall, has this, uh, it had a probe that went into the, uh, the Jupiter atmosphere to, to, uh, to understand, uh, the, the upper atmosphere, because the, if you remember the, the movies that we were getting from, from Voyager, during the approach to Jupiter, I mean the the Great Red Spot was this gigantic storm. Yeah, that's just moving in this gigantic circle. It was amazing to watch. I mean the things are spinning and, and just I mean the bands are you know going each way and the the there's this big huge circulation it, complexes and it's like wow it, it was it's amazing. Fun. It's a and so they what they wanted to do is they wanted to send a probe down into that and say hey what is going on what you know what uh -huh. is this <laughs> I mean uh, it, you basically it, it, you get a parachute you got an entry vehicle and a, and a parachute pops out and you kind of descend and you get your data down and um, yeah. yeah that's going to be really really cool right and so they said okay let's go send the the probe on its own separate carrier and um it it so we had to design a, a separate launch a launch vehicle for that separate 
uh, uh, bus vehicles, you know, separate everything. Uh, and then basically we had to make this extra propulsion module for the, the main spacecraft such that it gives itself a little bit more boost such that it didn't have to, you know, you know, go uh, below the surface to, to, at the Mars flyby. So, sorry, hold on a second here. Like, you, there, there's, there's a ton, of, there's a ton more to this. All I'm gonna say is, like, for me as a kid, I always was fascinated by the Jupiter red spot. Like, I never, like, the fact that it's still to this day storming, right? It, oh, or, it's been or, storming or, for how many thousands of know, years? It, yeah, yeah, exactly. Though that's yeah. the thing, right? It, it's such, it's, it's one of those like really cool mysteries in the in the universe because it's like. To us anyway, because like, what is well, it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What what is it? Yeah, what is it? It's yeah, bigger. I, wow. it, 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 it's bigger than our planet. Like, put this in perspective, folks. Like, if you don't know that red circle, I think is like, I can't remember how many Earths are in that thing, but it, it's huge. Like, it's it's a big. I believe the you know there are you you can fit eleven Earth diameters across the entire diameter of Jupiter. Mm -hmm. And the spot is what maybe three or four Earth diameters uh, yeah. long. It, it's big, and, right? Like, like yeah. it's just, it's just, it's just the like the fact is, a um, a planet that is essentially a few steps below being a star. It's that big. That that how much? And inside yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. inside it is a storm that is by itself bigger than us. I mean, that yeah. is a that yeah. is mind boggling, actually. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mind baggling. Okay. So, yeah. So, at JPL, uh, think about it this way we deal in things that are either really, really big. Yep. Really, really small. Which oddly makes sense. Okay. The one, the one, the one thing, like, listening to you for the last last little bit. And again, we'll, we'll, do you want me to finish the story or do you want, do you want me to, to die? Oh, well, uh, yeah. The, like, I can go, let's see here. Um, the then, let's see here. Um, they decided to, wait another year they combined it uh back again they actually decided to put a centaur in the upper stage to launch in 1985 and recombine the 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 probe with the uh, with the uh with the orbiter uh they were launched on the shuttle uh in 1985 um but the centaur got delayed and they said okay we'll delay into 1986 in May of 1986, and Challenger happened in January of 1986. Yeah. So all shuttle flights were off, you know, for two or three years while they figured that out. Um, and then at that point, they had to redesign the vehicle again. And they said, okay, look, if, and the problem was, was that the Centaur upper stage, the, in, that was supposed to go inside the shuttle was a cryogenic fueled upper stage i mean we're talking liquid oxygen you know um i don't know if, i don't know if it was kerosene or you know liquid methane but you know liquid propellants inside the shuttle yeah. you know and this you know after challenger they said you know let's let's rethink this and so they said let's let's do what they call the inertial upper stage it was a solid rocket motor system but you know then then the navigation team came by and said hey you know we can do the um, the uh, IUS the inertial upper stage uh, didn't have as much thrust as as the Centaur, uh, but we can launch in 1989. We can do a gravity assist off of um, Venus. Uh, do two gravity assists off of Earth, you know, to kind of get you kind of get the, uh, um, the 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 slingshot effect going, and then head out to Jupiter. Mm -hmm. Right. 
and that's what they did. And so, yeah, Voyager, I mean, uh, sorry, Galileo launched in, what, 89, I think, I believe it was. Yeah, it was late, yeah. early 89, something like that. Yeah, yeah, 89. And it was, it was, it was a long time. It was a, it, you know, you know, but. Well, I, I think what's interesting, I, I think like something I didn't think about until we, we really started talking is timing's everything in this, in your business. Like timing oh, yeah. is absolutely everything because, because yeah. there are only, there are only certain windows of opportunity to do certain things in, in there. And if you guys missed your window, well, you, you've missed your window. There's, there's just, there's no ifs, there's no answers, no buts, right? Yep. 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 Right. Yep. So. Yep. yep. Yeah, if, if we would have missed the the uh, the grand tour opportunity, yeah, we would have missed uh, you know Uranus Neptune, uh, you know Jupiter Saturn Uranus Neptune, yeah, um, all together. And they and and what was amazing was they got two vehicles out in yeah. that window. Like I said, like that's the part that's amazing. Like it, they they were it, like not only did they get the one they expected, they actually got a bonus they didn't expect. It was just like, but, yeah, they got they got they got a spare. Yeah, which yeah. Probably at some point it's going to, if it hasn't already come in handy. So that's like, like you said, I think that's the thing. I think the most interesting thing I've learned today, just based on this conversation, timing, like your job is living proof. Timing is absolutely everything. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, that, that's just half of it. Yeah. Okay. The other half is, you know, getting everything to work right. Okay. So uh primary example, look at the James Webb Space Telescope, right? Um, now that's an infrared telescope. The nice thing about infrared is the wavelength is a little bit longer uh, than than visible. Um, uh, so, but you, you got that working in your favor. So the the what we call wavefront error on the yep. on the primary mirror is doesn't have to be quite as strict as as a visible system mm -hmm. um, because uh, at least you're talking you know maybe what uh, nine hundred nanometers of of, uh, of your primary wave versus like six hundred in the green. Uh, you, so you may be looking at a thousand to you know nine hundred you know nanometers uh, uh, you know in in terms of wavelength. Um, so yeah, so the, the other issue that you have is, that, okay, you, you got the launch window, you got, you want to launch on time. Uh, but then you got to make sure that you have to, well, you have to survive launch. Okay. Uh, I think I was telling you before is that, you know, you have that acoustic loading, you know, you've got, you're, you're roaring up in, in the atmosphere. The atmosphere is, is, is basically, um, uh, uh, flowing around the uh the the launch vehicle fairing is it's basically exciting the the fairing and, and causing a lot of acoustic vibration inside the fairing and that energy is basically impinging on any flat panel that you've got and, and, and coupling energy into uh the the structure and it's shaking the structure right and so the vehicle is just, is just you're just shaking the the, the bejeebers out of it mm -hmm. right um and so the the, the other issue is that, you know, and, and I talked about this at, the, at my last, you know, panel at, at Comic-Con was, is that, well, that's really, really great. But what happens when you have a optical system where you want to have nanometers of wavefront error? Okay. So you have this big, huge telescope, the, you know, the lights coming in from, from your star, you know, it's, it's kind of, it's going through the optical chain and getting down to whatever your detector is. And it has to be in focus. Okay, so you're looking at just the star, and 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 because you got to remember that you're um, uh, like with um, uh, Hubble, 
you know they they had an issue with with the with the surface figure of the of the primary mirror and it was out of focus by the time they got to orbit because of a of a of of this tool that they had used to to calibrate the uh the grind the the of the uh, the primary mirror and so the whole the whole system was out of focus and so yeah so at that point you know the the um, we, we call it the wavefront error, you know, across the entire diameter of the telescope has to, you know, get, you know, all the photons for this one particular uh, image uh, to each, each spot on the focal plane in focus, um, which is, a, very, is very, very difficult to do. Um, it doesn't seem like a lot, but trust me, there's a lot of work going on to, to make sure that, that, that all the all the surfaces of all the mirrors, all the optics, and, and whatever is is precise uh, down to, you know, uh, typically microns. Yeah. Um, I think the the the, the primary uh, wavefront error on 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 the um, Hubble was, I believe, the total allowable wavefront error was like fifty nanometers. That's not okay. A lot. That's not yeah. a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not... yeah, we're, we're talking about a human hair is, oh, gosh, I think I'm trying, trying to remember. It's it's like, um, it's, it's in terms of like 30 microns yep. or whatever. And so you're talking about, you know, a hundredth of, of the width of a human hair yep. across the entire surface. And and that's the difference between something being in focus and not being in focus. And, right. And I think the the Hubble error um, on on the on the primary mirror grind was um, yeah it was only off by you know uh, you know like a, a couple of microns it wasn't it wasn't bad but it was bad enough okay. that it, you couldn't get into focus and it was completely useless. Well, I, I think that's I think actually it's again and that's the second lesson as as you say like window of opportunity one survivability two. Three, yep. right? Going back to something you just said, there. Are you there? Performance. Yeah, performance. And, yeah, uh, I'm here. I, there was there was a connection there. It, it, technology just flickered out at the last part, but the last, but the yeah, it's just it's it's amazing. Like going back to like big details, small details. A lot of this from like your again. I'm only just this is this is an hour conversation or something like that. So I I'm not saying I know much of anything about this, but it seems to me like. The biggest thing about this job besides perform like the performance is that attention to detail to make sure it works and it can be especially with the way it, it seems to work in space very very tiny differences it's all it, like like it's it's worse than the weather up here right whereas a degree oh, yeah. one way one way or the other can change the weather here completely like less than a human hair can is the difference between i can see what's out there to i don't got nothing yep Yep. Oh yeah. Well, and then and you then you have the uh, you know there's some large telescopes. I mean, the ideally what you want to do is you want to increase the diameter of, of your aperture, okay? Because all the light coming from every star, you know, out in the, you know, in in the entire field there, you know, all the galaxies, all you know, in the in the entire sky what you're looking at, all the light coming in, um, basically is. Um, uh, evenly distributed across the entire telescope. And so the bigger you can make your telescope, that means that there's that many more photons that come to your focal plane at that your one pixel and energize the pixel and you can detect what what that image is. 
So you see the star, you see the, the dust clouds around it, you know, and all the details. And the bigger you make you, you make your aperture, the the more detail you get. And we're seeing that on James Webb. Yeah. Right. Here's the pictures that we're seeing on James Webb, and even the, the first picture that they did and was just to get the thing into focus, right? Which is another hour-long discussion of, of what you have to do to, you know, basically there's there's 18 separate mirrors that have to be co-focused and co-aligned and then co-phased, right? Mm -hmm. Which I will get into because that's 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 yeah. that's way more detail than we have time for. Um yeah. But then you look at the first, the very, very first picture, because they said, okay, let's go find a star where there's nothing around it, and we'll just focus on the one star, right? Mm -hmm. They finally get the thing into focus in, you know, uh, you know, all 18 segments are now focused on the one thing, such that all, all the images from all the different um, um, uh, separate segments um, are now go to the one pixel. So you see the one star, which is really, really bright, and then you see around it all the galaxies right that we hadn't seen before right and each one of those is a milky way galaxy right mm -hmm. with billions of stars in it right and you're kind of going wow <laughs> okay well, this uh, this is really really cool well yeah because that's well i i, I think the, i think the one thing I, I i okay so this is gonna this is we're gonna go back to earth here for a second here when i was a kid I was terrified of being small, right? That like, like, I think we all are, I think, oh my God, I'm little. As I've gotten older, I've realized more and more and more, I've gotten smaller and smaller in life. And when I used to be afraid, the difference is, I used to be afraid of that when I was a kid. As an adult, I welcome it because um, I think the heart, I think the heart of any science, not just rocket science, but any science, is discovery and understanding. And the fact that we are such a very small piece of a much infinitely larger whole, like, like again, and here's, I think the interesting thing, is, like, I think the perspective I have is we are still essentially, if you sit there and looking at it, we're putting a lot of telescopes and toys in space. We still have no idea how big we have, we have theories of how big it is, mm -hmm. but we're still discovering more and more every day. And we haven't really gone out there to see it. Like, I, and again, that whole Star Trek dream, I don't know what that's going to look like when and if we get to that point. But what I do, what I do know is um, if and when we get to that point, um, I think we're going to discover more and more. And I think that's a cool thing, right? I think, I think, oh, yeah. I think, I, oh, think yeah. the, I think the older we get, the older we get, I think the more I appreciate the fact, because for lack of a better term, that means there's still a ton of magic out there to still be discovered and explored. And there's wonder. I think that's, that's a wonderful thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, the thing is, is that after I had uh, worked on Galileo, um, they needed some help with this thing called the infrared astronomical satellite. And uh, at the time, nobody had done a survey of the entire sky in the infrared before. Oh, okay. And uh, this was 1983, and so we had to launch a uh, telescope uh, that could detect uh, the the sky in the infrared. Okay, and this was just a, a, a simple telescope. It wasn't it wasn't a focal plane. It wasn't anything like James Webb or anything like that. Um, but we had to cool it down, 
Okay, because in the infrared, um, you know, the last thing you want to do is, you know, you're, you're looking for very, very faint infrared signals in from deep space. And the last thing you want is the all the infrared radiation from your telescope to swamp out that signal and to, to blanket out. So the entire telescope had to be cooled to about two degrees above absolute zero. Damn. Okay. All right. And um, and you, you do that, you know, liquid helium, um, you, you, you can do that, no, no problem. And so we, we got the thing launched and we, we set it up in orbit, geosynchronous, you know, uh, orbit. Again, that's another uh, right. discussion. Yeah, 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 again. Right. And so it, it does this all-sky survey and uh, the cryogen, uh, the liquid helium lasted for about, uh, what, nine, 10 months. And it did the, the full all-sky survey, and the scientists said, hey, there's some signals here where there's some stuff that we had never seen before, right? And they started counting this. Well, that's got to be a galaxy, right? And so they started counting all the galaxies that they, they had never seen before. And uh, because, you know, based on, you know, you, you go to Mount Palomar to the telescope and you, you start counting, you know, you do a survey in, in, the, in the infrared and you go to Mount Arecibo down in the, the southern hemisphere and you count all the galaxies down there that you can see with in the visible spectrum. Um, and then they said, well, let's do it in the infrared. And there were about 60 to 65,000 galaxies that they had not seen uh that were uh that were in the infrared that they had not seen in, in the visible okay so you think about okay we're we are in the milky way galaxy okay all the billions of stars in the milky way galaxy there are sixty-five thousand galaxies out there you want to feel small okay <laughs> so i'm making and, you feel and, really really small now well, but, but 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 that's but that's cool i think that's right? awesome right yeah and also and, 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 here's and, the, and now you're, you're saying, okay, now now uh, James Webb can actually start taking a look at those, mm -hmm. okay? Because you're you're seeing stuff at the edge of the universe at that you're seeing that came from the start of the Big Bang. Yeah. So right? and then you, and then you keep going as we keep discovering more, we might even see learn to see even more. Like, yeah. Who can say? I I think that's a wonderful thing. I I. I would rather again. I love worlds of wonder, and I, again, and that's. I think that's the heart of. I honestly think that's the true art of science. How much can we discover and hopefully understand? Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and hey, look, I'm an engineer, right? Yeah. I'm not. I'm not the guy doing the science. I mean, the 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 men and women doing the science are the ones out there saying, hey, you know, if if A happens and B happens, and then we have you know I, exoplanets and whatever, I just make things happen for them so they can make their discoveries. Yeah, right? yeah. But that, but I mean honestly, isn't that science in itself? Though I mean you're you're solving problems, right? Kind of, kind of, sorta, yeah. 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 So I mean, it's it may not be it may not be as glamorous, but dude, yeah, like, they yeah, yeah. But but I'm I'm there to to help them out, you know, and and you know they're there to help me out too. Okay. Sure. Uh, no, no, class... no. It goes it goes both ways, right? Yeah. It's yeah. A oh yeah. 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 Right? Like a classic example was um, uh, the um, you know the 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 desire to go find water on Mars, right? Yep. And somebody said, hey, look, you know, there's of, of the the loose dirt, the regolith on the Martian soil. Okay, 1% of that is water, all right? So if you mined, you know, um, a thousand kilos of um, 
of regolith, you get 10 kilos of water, right? So that's a lot of dirt. Okay. So, yeah. you know, you got to basically go scoop up dirt and you got to go, you know, go find yeah. the, you, know, you bring it to a processing plant and you go, you sift through all that and you go, you get all this water. Right. And the scientists look at us kind of like, what are you doing that for? Okay. Because you realize that on the surface of Mars, there's a ton of gypsum. Right. Now, gypsum is the same stuff you got in your walls. Right. Gypsum board. Okay. Do you realize that? I think it's what is it forty four percent or sixty five percent of that is water. Much better source of water. Yeah, and all right. you got to do to extract it is to heat it up and you release the water. Yep. You know, and so that means that for every thousand kilos of gypsum that you can scoop up in mine, so you, get, you get six hundred and fifty kilos, or you know fifty yeah. to six hundred fifty kilos of water. Yep. Okay. Which... So what's easier to mine? A thousand kilos of you know, of of regolith to get ten kilos, or a thousand kilos of of gypsum to get five hundred. Exactly, right? Or six fifty, so, or whatever the get, whatever the case may be. Yeah. yeah so scientists, yeah, you, you love them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Thank, no. you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Go go for the gypsum, man. I mean, yeah. Go God. Well, it, well, it, but 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 again, it, it's 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 a matter of like again it's it's what you both bring to the table right and and yeah. like i said and i just think like you solve different problems but you both work together to try to solve the problems of possibly tomorrow yeah, well, yeah. and it's it's one of those things where you you look at um well uh, a classic example um uh you you look at the what what does it take to produce a movie right you've got you, you, <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. Who knows what happens because it all works out in the end, right? You know, yeah, basically, yeah, yeah. it's uh, you know uh, Shakespeare in love, right? You know, so how, it works out in the end. How do you know? I don't know. It's a mystery. Um, but you know, you have um, uh, creative people. You have um, people to do the um, you know the work. Um, the, you know, and and so you can map this into. In, in, into uh, space, you know, a flight as well. Oh, yeah. So you have, you know, you, 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 your producers are your managers. I mean, the people that manage the project, right? Mm -hmm. You have your creators, your scientists are your writers, the, the people generating the idea for this movie, right? If it wasn't for the writer, then, hey, you know, why, why are we even doing this, right? Exactly. Because somebody has to come up with the idea and the scenes and the, the creativity that it takes to make this a cohesive, um, um, story, uh, and then you have all the talent that it takes to make it happen. You have the the people behind the camera, the people in front of the camera. You know the the people that are you know, set you know uh, the, the set dressers and everything like that. Those are your engine. That's your engineering team, effectively, yeah. right? And so it's it's very similar in in that regard. Yeah. As, well, as, well, well, I, 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 so I mean, it, like, it's like anything else. It, it's a human project at the end of the day, and that is, but it takes the right people and the it, like. We're talking about like a show. I imagine the same with any of your projects too. The right people with the right place at the right time, right? And like some projects are better than others because of who, and just yep. right and the direction. Same with television, same with movies, right? Yeah. I, I actually I was gonna make a joke. I don't think I don't think it's actually a fair joke though, because again, you are Madeline's, right? Um uh spousal support unit in her comic book and actually to be fair, that, that sells Madeline short. 
her IP enterprise, is what I'm going to actually say, because of everything she does with Boston Metaphysical, to say it's just a comic would be actually a bit of an insult. She does novels. She's got lots of other cool things she's done with it. With, with what oh, yeah. Done. Yeah. Right. So, but I, I, I guess, I guess that, like for you, because going into, going into that role, is it, is it as challenging for you? Is it, is it something like more um, fun for you? Like, 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 and, Obviously, you're supporting her and her dreams, and and honestly, I think the world of her for what she's accomplished. So, um, I'm sure. Oh no, it's it's it, it, it's amazing. She's got a worldwide empire. Yes, she does. <laughs> no, you know, she, and, she, she and, and she is she is the 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 writer, okay, the producer, uh, and and the <laughs> and the engineering team, and then she has to go find you know specific talent to to make it happen. So yeah, it's uh, it's 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 amazing to watch. Yeah. Um, and so, and, and I, and I, you know, package, you know, when, every time she finishes a Kickstarter, you know, I'm out there packaging boxes and, you know, sending things out and, you know, getting the, um, you know, get, get fulfilling everything. You, Cause you, yeah, like I said, you're looking at the, the fulfillment center, the, 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 yeah. uh, uh, the, the, the main uh, distribution center right here. But after talking with you, I, I can see why I can see why I should be, you you do remind me a bit of her in like the same thing. You're both problem solvers. You do yep. different stuff, but you both are incredible problem solvers at what you do, and that's to both your credits, actually. Yeah. So, yep. I, I I'm going to ask you to pick children, and then I'm gonna, we're going to wrap. We're, we because I I have thoroughly. This has been a very fascinating conversation, but I don't want to keep you here forever, and I'm sure you've got things you must do. So, okay. so I'm going to ask. Two questions and we'll, then we'll wrap up. I don't actually know how to what the how do you plug at the end, but we'll we'll figure that out when we get there. Picking children of everything you've done that you can talk about, what was your favorite like job of everything you've done? Oh, uh, the favorite job that I've done. Yeah, like like what have you like which of these projects? Like all these things you've done. Oh, okay. Uh, well, all right. Um, I, I, I told, I actually told this story at, at the, the last Comic-Con, uh, back in, uh, I believe what, 2003 or so, uh, we had a instrument that was destined to fly on a earth absorbing, uh, uh, platform called Aurora. And it was called the troposphere emission spectrometer. Uh, and it was designed to detect ozone uh, and other uh, upper atmospheric um, uh, uh, constituents, uh, specific minerals in, in the upper atmosphere. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, they had taken a long time to, uh, it, it, was, it was an optical instrument. Uh, it was actually a Michelson interferometer, which I don't want to go into details, but you know, it's yeah, basically yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a very, very complicated optical system. So it took a long time to align that optics bench, um, like 18 months, which is really a long time, right? Yeah. So there, you know, it's one of those things where you're, you're getting close to the, the delivery point here and you got maybe nine months to go, but you got to go, you got to get the bench into the, the main structure, you got to calibrate it and you got to do your, your survival, you know, uh, your environmental testing, do your calibrations and to get the thing out the door. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so the, the, the best thing that I'd done is that I had, uh, you know, we got called in the bench had the optics bench on this thing had been, had, had finally been aligned 
Um, they, they put it all together, they bolted it onto the main structure and it warped like a pretzel. I mean, it was so bad that there was no detectable signal coming out of it. And we said, uh, wait a minute, you've got nine months to go before you ship and you have no detectable signal coming out of this thing. And so we had to take it from this totally non-working you know, entity uh, and get it out the door on time so I could get, you know, delivered to the main, you know, uh, launch vehicle, uh, not to the, the, the main uh, spacecraft platform. Sure. To get. And um, so we had to go do that, which is like another story in, its, in, in itself. And so we had to, yeah, and it was just one of those things where I just remembered a comment that somebody had said 20 years before. And I walked in my boss's office and I said, hey, what about this thing? Uh and they kind of look at me and you remember in Galaxy Quest, okay, when Fred Kwan, you know, they, they had gone through the minefield and, and the ship is torn to pieces, the, you know, and it, it's like they're kind of drifting in space and they're, they have no brilliant sphere or whatever. And Fred Kwan says, hey, you know, we could rig up a solar sail for, you know, whatever propulsion to, you know, kind of rig up the, the basically this jury rig. Mm-hmm. And everybody turns around and says, you know, Tim Allen turns around and says, we'll do that, right? And and this thing uh, with, with Tess was just so bad that, you know, everybody was like, we don't know what, what do to do, do here. I mean, it, it's yeah. totally broken. We have no clue of how to do this. And I said, hey, what about this? And they said, we'll do that. And so that's what we did. And we had to get this. Uh, effectively, it was the equivalent of a small motor um, that... Um, that had to release the all the the we call the all the uh, the preload the um, uh, the, uh, the the force on the on the optics bench to release it to let it spring back into shape because what was happened was when when it got bolted in it, it 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 twisted it and so but the thing is you need you need to survive launch right and then when you get up into orbit you want to release it okay. Um, but if for you, yeah, but when you're doing your vibration testing and whoever you got to clamp it down. Okay. But when you go into thermal vacuum and to try to do your calibrations, you got to release it. So you got to be able to either clamp it down or release it, you know, and we had to figure out a way of making a motor. Um, and, uh, again, uh, get the thing clamped down, um, and 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 do this in four months because you got to remember that you know a, a standard electric motor with a gearbox takes the the lead time on this is maybe two years okay so, 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 and we had no time we had we were out of time we were you, you, it's like that what can we do here and so we had we had to invent this thing you know like kind of on the fly we had to go test it and qualify it and you know make sure yep it's releasing the preload you know at, at when it gets down to temperature and we're getting it back when we warm it up and so we're good to go so ship it off and we shipped it off and it and it survived and it and it and it and it and it did its thing on orbit and it and it uh we got all the science out of it that we expected it to do but yeah nine months before we had to deliver it it was a the equivalent of a $300 million boat anchor. I mean, it would be more useful as a boat anchor than, than. What, what, what you, what you had intended to use it. And it's like, yeah. And like, so you say, now you say egg on your face. Sounds like you got to be a little creative with it too. 
which is kind oh, of yeah cool. yeah and we had to say you know hey what you know, what can we do and it's like okay so we got out the door okay so that, that's your first question what's, okay. what's the next one so next question is okay so I, I obviously so this is beyond science this is now now going into the fact they like said being your wife's a spouse support unit, I believe was the correct term there. Mm -hmm. So she's not here. What, what's been your favorite Boston metaphysical story? Cause I imagine you read them sometimes too, because it's her stuff. Oh, uh, the BMS story, um, is the one that she is actually writing right now. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, she calls it the house wars. It's the Boston metaphysical equivalent of the civil war. Okay. Um, and you know, the, what you've been seeing so far is eh, the warm up right. to the, the BMS universe. And so this is a really intricate, complicated story. I mean, I like to call it as the equivalent of the, the, the BMS version of game of Thrones. Okay. okay. Um, and, and so, I mean, there's, you know, house tilling gas out in, in Chicago and, you know, you got, you got Beatrice Weldsmore and, you know, Gwen, you know, and, and just all the, and it's like the airships and the, 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 the equivalent of the civil war with, you know, and then there's house Zhao out in California and yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. So yeah, you guys, you, yeah, when, when she finally gets it done. Okay. She got the first book done. I mean, this is a trilogy. Uh, a novel trilogy. The first book is done. Uh, you got two more to go, and it's like, please write, please, please, please. <laughs> right? And she's like, well, I don't, I don't have time to write. You know, she's, you know, her her dad died, so she's going through the estate and it's that whatever. And it's like, you know, go write, go write. I did not know that. My condolences to her. Yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, we're going through that right now. So, yeah. Hmm. No. Well, 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 I like I said, it just, just. From me to when when you see her next, just tell her from me to her. My condolences. I didn't know she was going through that. So, no, oh, yeah, no, that, that that's fine. Thanks. Um, yeah, it's... yeah. No, it it it, it would definitely it, like if my dad died. I I know that it would it would definitely make me um it would pause me. It would definitely give me pause with what I'm doing, right? Any time to mourn, and I maybe and I I, I totally get that. So. That's cool. I, I I didn't. I don't want to end it now quite here because that was a good plug for what she's doing. Yeah. Right. And and except for the past part where it's super sad. So, um, how do I want to close this now? How do you want to close this? Um. Yeah. Um. Hmm. So okay. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, okay. I I I have two thoughts. Okay. So normally I actually ask the guests to plug something. We kind of did that with BMS, mm -hmm. but I, I I but I also think like like. If people, I guess I guess where where I kind of want to go. We mentioned earlier that you don't want to take advantage of your position, and I, and I get that. That right. all said, that all said, right? Um, you do tell some very interesting stories because I like it's a lot of people imagine what a rocket scientist is, and in this brief time we've had this conversation, I have a I again I'm not pretending I know anything they require to do your job, but. I have a bit of an idea of what you do, if that makes sense. Like, like the big and little things you deal with on, on, on a regular basis, mm -hmm. right? At least in principle, I get it. How to solve some of that? That's beyond my it, it, my my pay grade. But yeah. um, that all that all said, um, you know, you do do these stories sometimes, 
So do you just do them in San Diego or have you done them in other spots? I'm going to have a call it the laughs. We'll uh, laughs. No, I, I, I did this for a while at WonderCon. The, the, the turnout at WonderCon really wasn't as much as, as San Diego. No. Um, so, yeah. So I, you know, and I, I it's, it's one of those things where I just said, you know, let's just going to do one a year. So if you want to hear him have a conversation about his job and, and what he does and some of the, and some of the stories here, because some of the way he's talked about is relatively well known. Like these are some of the things he's done, not everything, but some of the things he's done. If you want to do that, go check out San Diego Comic-Con. You do this panel every yeah. year. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's called No Tow Trucks Beyond Mars, and it's typically on Saturdays, uh, like in uh, yeah, up in one of the smaller conference rooms. So, There's and it's always there. full. It's always yeah. full. So, which which is kind of mind blowing. Of course, then again, I'm the guy that you know. I hate to say this, I'm not that. I'm not as enamored of SpaceX as everybody else is, because yeah. I look at him and I say, you know, guys, what are you doing that for? You know, we kind of we there's a problem that you guys have that we we solved 40 years ago. You know, it's like you know, it's like yeah, yeah but I got to keep my mouth shut. So, oh well, 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 well. <laughs> that's another story, right? Yeah, that's a story for another day. Okay, yeah, no that, that's another that's that's a story for another time. It's like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So, but hey, you know, SpaceX has the money to go learn their own lesson. So, hey, okay, fine. Hey, 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 hey. like I said, it's 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 not your. How, how do I put this? It's not your cartoon. So yeah. you don't have to worry. You don't have to worry about the coyote hitting the cliff, right? You, yeah. you just yeah. don't, right? Yeah. So let 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 them do their thing, yeah. and rug and move on. So, ladies and gentlemen, check this out. I, I guess uh, you want me to do a website plug somewhere? Do you want to just plug your wife's website? Is that how we uh, Yes. Uh, oh boy, I, I think it's what uh, Boston Metaphysical Society dot com. Yeah, we're we're, we're going to do that. We're going to do that. Okay. I. I I'm sorry, norm, normally, right? People have a project, like when I have a guest on the show, right? Mm -hmm. You're a little at, like, like part of the reason I, I, again, I thoroughly enjoyed meeting you at San Diego. This is why I wanted you on the show. But also, this was a little out of my comfort zone. I learned a lot doing this. So I hope you enjoyed this. Oh, no, it's, it's, it's been fun. And, and like, there's just never enough time. No, oh, no, there's not. Another time, we'll do, we'll, we'll do this again sometime. Is that, that's yeah. cool with you. That's cool with okay. you. All right, folks, that will do it for this episode of Just Joshing. I will be back Monday with a double header in the morning. I'm doing a guest from actually Israel, which is kind of cool, an author from Israel. And I have Christy Shin in the afternoon. It's going to be a Ooh. fun, uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun, fun day. That's my Canadian Thanksgiving. We have Thanksgiving in October just because it's just what we do. But for everybody watching, everybody listening, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Stay inspired. Keep shining in the dark. And I'll see you guys next time. Starting with episode 1011, the, the Twitch era of the Just Joshing podcast is officially over. We are now in the midst of a transformation to a travel show, the Twitch travel era. 1011 is my first travel show. Barb Sim is my guest. There's going to be a variety of these things. Now, if you want to see all the travel episodes well before they ever come out as officially part of Kenan on the show, check out patreon.com slash justjoshingdodcast. Five bucks gets you access to all the interviews up there so far. There's a bunch of them up there that are going to be coming real soon. More are going up there right now, including SDCC. So if you are interested in supporting the podcast, the best way to do it, if you got a couple bucks, go to patreon.com slash just joshing podcast. Josh. Josh.